Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, navigating you through this crazy world that we live in. It is, good gosh, I literally just sat down. It is the 18th day of February um, 2014 and we'll be live here for the next hour. And I should be joined here momentarily by um, by a couple of different people. We're going to chat about um, the future of government. What do we think that the future of government holds for not only America, but for the world in general? So it should be an interesting topic of conversation, obviously um, something near and dear to my heart, because I advocate for self-government and um, in this paradigm that we live in currently uh, for a complete paradigm shift. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I'm actually going to try to open up the forum, open up a dialogue to people if you want to call in, be a part of the show, feel free to call in. It is uh, The number to call in is 602-753-1916. Once again, that's 602-753-1916. And um, gosh, it has just been absolutely bonkers. So um, is uh, I think I have somebody on the line with me. Are you on the line currently, Mr. Wiley? Are you there? I think that we have um, we have some technical difficulties. We'll try to get those straightened up here. So anyway, um, I'm going to play a brief clip, and then when I come back from this break, hopefully we'll have everybody straightened up. But um, this is off of the um, this is off of YouTube under Man Against the State. It is called Government Explained, and it's just the last three minutes. So hopefully, um, you guys will get to um, enjoy some of this because um, this really does put it in perspective, and if you watch the entire nine minutes, it will really um, put into perspective what we're dealing with from a consciousness standpoint and and how we're going to have to uh, basically deprogram everybody to understand what government is and what it does and what it's there for. And um, this this little clip, to set the clip up, is a is a guy trying to explain to an alien... Um, what government is. So here are here is government explained. Enjoy, everyone. How does a regular human become a politician? Well, that's the great thing about our government. It's a democracy, and that means that the people actually have the power because we get to decide who among us get to be the politicians. We get to vote. And if a politician starts doing things we don't like, we can just replace him with someone else at the next election. So the people that get chosen to be politicians only get to boss people around and take their money for a short time, and then they go back to being regular humans? Exactly. That sounds like a powerful position to be in. But if you get to choose who does that, I assume that politicians are always the wisest, most honest, caring and respected people among you. Well, no, not really. 
I wouldn't say politicians are known for being honest or wise or caring. And they're certainly not the most respected people among us. Come to think of it, most politicians are lying, power-hungry crooks. The ones you chose? Yeah, they're always doing things we don't like. They use taxpayers' money to enrich themselves and their friends, and they never keep their promises to voters. They've been caught stealing and lying and taking bribes, and they mostly do what the big corporations want. Yeah, they're always doing stuff like that. They're completely corrupt. They're a bunch of lying crooks. But you said that most humans know that stealing and beating each other up and killing are wrong. And you said that you have the power because you can change who's in charge. So why don't you just replace the lying, thieving, murderous, crooked politicians with some regular people? Well, we don't try to elect lying crooks. It just always turns out that way. But we have to have a government because some humans are nasty and might kill or enslave or steal. Civilization just couldn't survive without government. Let me get this straight. Because you're worried about the small number of nasty people that are willing to kill, enslave and steal, you think it's necessary for your survival to have a system where some humans among you for a short while, get to call themselves the government, and they get to order everyone else around like slaves, and, if they want, commit mass murder overseas, using money they stole, using threats of violence. Politicians get to kill, enslave, and steal, because if they didn't, someone else might? And you try to elect good, honest people to be politicians, but what happens every time is that the people you elect turn out to be corrupt, evil, lying crooks. That's your system. Yeah, that's pretty much government. So that was a, um, that's a short clip, and it's based on a talk by Larkin Rose, and it says it was produced by Graham Wright. So kudos to you guys for enlightening um, everybody with something that everyone can understand. A cartoon alien and a cartoon human being having a conversation of what is government. That actually ties me back into um, something that I that I watched Adam Kokesh do, um, and that was, gosh, I think it was a couple of months before he got um, got arrested for um, exercising his Second Amendment, and that was the um, he tried to explain. He said if you could, if you had to explain military maneuvers or um, military drills to an alien, he said, what would it be? And he said, well. Well, they get in these big boats, and they drive them around in a big circle and burn up a whole bunch of gas and point guns at each other, and nobody really does anything. And he goes, that's military maneuvers. That's, that's what we're dealing with. So it is uh, – <laughs> once, once again, if you break it down to the actual you know, grammar, logic, and rhetoric of what it is, it um as to quote joe rogan um it's just uh it's silly government is uh, it's silly to silly to think that we have to have people go do and and have a, a voice of reason for us when 9 times out of 10 they don't um have any reason nor do they use any logic whatsoever it is all personal gain like he said in the video so anyway now uh, joining me as i finally got my uh, 
my video to work and finally got my cup of tea out of the microwave. Uh, joining me is Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution. So thank you, Josh, for being on. I think we're going to have a couple more guests before the show is said and done. But um, what did you make of that? Um, I don't know if you could hear it because we were trying to get the technical stuff worked out. But what did you make of the um, the synopsis of that three-minute clip of what government is? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. And um, I've actually heard uh, the entirety of that Larkin Rose uh, talk as well. And he did uh, an interesting kind of extended interview uh, with Richard Grove about this specific talk uh, on an episode of Peace Revolution. Uh, I forget exactly what one it was. Um, but, it, yeah, it's, this, it's an excellent and clear, concise way to enumerate to people uh, you know, the fact that government is nothing more than uh, a monopoly on force. And once you do start to exercise the grammar, logic, and rhetoric uh, of government, and, uh, you know, the, as... Uh, as Mark Passio points out, you know, uh, if, if we if we look at you know the gubernare and mente, the two root words of government, which mean uh, control and uh, mind, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it government literally is a form of, of mind control, uh, and it's uh, it just harkens back to that. Um, I believe is a John Lennon quote to keep you safe from the terrorists, Josh. Oh, that, yeah, and make sure that, you know, people exercise their love properly and, uh, sure. you know, are are safe on those airplanes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, go ahead and get into your John Lennon quote. I didn't mean to derail you. Oh, no, it was just uh, he essentially said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that our society is run by insane, maniacal per- uh, people for, for insane, uh, maniacal ends. And, you know, once you really get down uh, to the nitty-gritty about what government is, then you, you kind of, it's kind of this bold-faced lie that's, that's out in the open. You know, the big, the big lie, as, uh, as Joseph Goebbels once called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's where we are today as a species. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting. As I, as I progress as a, as a human and as I progress in my... Um, um, as I progress in in just um, I get I guess my um, sorry I'm getting messages and trying to coordinate stuff once again hey welcome to live radio everybody but um, as I progress as an individual and I, um, interviewing Tom Campbell tomorrow talking about the individual consciousness unit you know my own unit of consciousness as I progress and I start to see the world differently and expand my horizons and expand my sphere of influence I guess. Then you start to really do you start to really do question, and it, it's funny that I was talking to a friend of mine today, uh, the guy that you and I spoke about last night on the phone, and uh, by the way, um, he he is um, definitely very well educated. When I started talking to him about the trivium and the quadrivium, he asked me, he's like, "Have you ever read John Taylor Gatto's work?" And I was like, "Oh my God, I thought I thought you and I had something in common." But anyway, side note, everybody. Um, great books, by the way, and also a great interview if you want to watch the, um, uh, what is it called, The Ultimate History Lesson. It's on my website, so you can check it out, wearenotcattle.net. So, anyway, what we're looking at is, um, as I grow as an individual, I start to realize that um, that the fight isn't really on the political game. And what I mean by that. Yes, we have to wage war on the political front, absolutely, but that is not where the real game is played. And what I mean by that is I'm starting to figure out that educating myself, educating the people around me, that's what's going to incite real change. 
And you're going to have to do it through not coercive means like what government does, you know, coercion, aggression, and, and you know, by the barrel of a gun. But you're going to have to do it with with um, what we're going to talk about tomorrow night. We're going to have to do it with love, and we're going to have to do it with not um, being afraid to be um, criticized. Because I think that that's one of the things that we run into um, with a different mode of you know mode of thinking from the herd. You know, no pun intended with the we are not cattle, but this is really coming full circle. Is that you do run into um, you run into a lot of ego challenges when you when you run into trying to uh, change somebody's paradigm. And uh, I got another guy coming to, coming to join us. So here we go. So as soon as I get Rick pulled up. But, um, but it, it, that's what we're talking about. Is that, um, Rick, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can okay. you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Some, I got some reverb on your end. Yeah, sorry. It's okay. All right. So it, can you either turn down your external... Volume down just a Let me see if that'll work. Otherwise, I'll put on my headphones. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, I can do that. How's that? Yeah, that, that that should be okay. Oh, okay. All right, we're good. So anyway, what I was saying before, um, just to let you know, Rick, we were talking about the the nature of government. Uh, Rick, Josh Wiley, by the way, say hello, Josh. Hello, Hi, Josh. Josh. It's nice to meet you, Rick. So um, we were talking about the nature of government and its inception and um, and the the real battle for, you know, obviously we have to wage war on the political front, no pun intended, but we have to wage war, obviously, um, in the intellectual battle and try to get people to think about what we really want to accomplish if we want to accomplish anything with government and how we want to do this. Because, you know, through the preconditioning of the public education system and through the brainwashing that we've experienced over the last, you know, 25 to 50 years – that people have really gotten away from an individualistic attitude. And I got you on because we have a, a, a little bit of a different, um, I guess, sphere of influence, and we have a little bit different worldview. But you and I both align on a lot of the same topics, and that is you know, coercion from the government, corruption from the government. So what I've basically espoused over the last couple of minutes... We're against it. Let's make that clear. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and that's so it's so funny is that you get people from different uh, political um, ideologies, so to speak. And it's funny that I, I, I spend a lot of time talking about this. It's like we always spend time infighting on what we want the end result to be. But we focus on what is really going on now. And, and Lee Camp was on my show, and he said that he's a, he's a very far left-leaning uh, individual. And he, he would be, a I guess, considered a Green Party um, politically person, politically charged person. But when it gets down to brass tacks, most of these things that we're covering out in media, what you're covering with your articles and, and things like that, these are just human issues. They're not political issues. So what I'm trying to, trying to get people to understand is that don't think that government's going to solve these problems. We need to, as a human species, come together and start having dialogue and, and have real dialogue with one another and not just bang rhetoric at one another and say, well, my rhetoric's better than yours or you know, my paradigm's better than yours and here's how we're going to get there. And I don't think that that really m- mounts up to anything other than you know, where we're at currently, which is a divide-and-conquer scenario where the agenda just keeps moving right along and we just sit here and watch it. Couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, that's actually I write about that a lot on my blog, Souls for Peace International. Mm-hmm. My latest blog is called um, uh, 
changing the world, the, uh, the psychology of belief. And it has a lot to do with what you just said. Mm-hmm. When we start with certain basic beliefs that we never challenge, mm-hmm. and we can't even have a conversation with somebody that starts with different beliefs. Even the same words mean totally different things to us. But in, in reality, we have so many common values. There's so many issues that we have to work together on because, really, it's us against the government. Sure. And if we want a government that's going to be of, by, and for the people, then we have to work together because you can't have a representative democracy unless your representatives know what the hell you agree on. So we got to have this conversation. That's why I love the show. Well, and, and it also reaches back to, you know, it also reaches back to what we were talking about before in the fact that, you know, it it's an informed populace is what we need. We need the informed populace first, and that's why, you know, I got sucked up into the political realm and thought that it would be something great to go out and wave signs and, and get people involved politically, and that's all well and good. But the, the small faction that you get involved politically don't, you know, don't have any very good, um, I guess, means to, to propagate that message of, hey, we're on a united front here. Let's not you know, infight with one another. So, um, so that's why I've come to this realization, and I thought that this was going to come you know, um, sooner rather than later. Because when I started the show, I wanted people to understand the big agenda, what was going on um, from the power broker's perspective. And then I kind of whittled down to an activist perspective. And so now that I've finished up with my activism and started not to say that I'm ever going to stop because I won't, because I think it's very important to be physically active because that's what's going to change. You know, being visible is something different than being a, a Facebook advocate. Um, no, it's those people, but I mean, it is. It's something to be a, a digital advocate, and then there's something to be an actual physical advocate or activist. And so now that I've progressed, it's now I, I take the platform that I have with the listeners and the audience that I have as an opportunity to instruct, to uh, question, and to um, to challenge the status quo. And so that's what we're here to do now is to really challenge the status quo and and what we what we want government to be if we want government to exist at all. And mm-hmm. that's the real question. You know, from, a, like you said, uh, the moral imperative or the, or the predisposition that we have to have government. Government has to be there because it's always existed. Well, I think that we can mostly agree that, that we all have pretty similar values. I'm not going to steal stuff from you. You're not going to steal stuff from me, and you're not going to try to kill me, and I'm not going to try to kill you. But if you try to kill me, I have the opportunity to defend myself. And so that's what was put in, you know, put in print by the, the founding fathers, but, well, not necessarily them, the, the first go-around, but the second go-around when they added the Bill of Rights and all that stuff. That's when all this stuff so kind of really took shape. But, Josh, any comments? I've been kind of rambling. but um, Yeah, I'll... absolutely. And I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up this specific topic tonight. Uh, I don't know if either of you gentlemen have heard about, uh, uh, you know, this sort of movement that's making the rounds right now. I believe it's called uh, Operation Constitutional Republic. Um, where it's essentially a, a group of incredibly disgruntled veterans uh, who, you know, I have a lot of ideological, ideological sympathies with, but these people are essentially trying to organize and say the time is now for some kind of violent, bloody overthrow of the government, so, you know, get your AR-15 ready and uh, wait for orders, essentially. Uh, and I won't even get into the fact that, you know, we we see so many false fomentations of rebellion around the globe right now that this... Uh, could very well potentially be one of them. Um, but I was kind of engaging with, with a guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Absolutely. You know, as much as I want America to be the next Egypt or Tunisia or Libya or the Ukraine, <laughs> I'd like to avoid that scenario if at all possible. But I was engaging with one of the supporters on this in the comments section of YouTube, you know, trying to, you know, maintain an even discourse. And he essentially was saying, well, you know, it worked against the British Empire and we'll never be stronger and let's go get them right now. And even barring, you know, kind of the ideological dispute from a from a standpoint of a revolutionary tactician, I just presented an alternative theory. I said, would you rather enter this long, bloody, extended struggle for the seat of power itself, or would you rather, you know, spread this knowledge to your friends and family and then just withdraw from the system entirely and create something better, you know, on a local level? Whether that be a constitutional republic or an egalitarian commune or a voluntary-based system, you know, like, th these aren't only tactics that will completely and utterly subvert the state without having to fire a shot. But you can do so on your own terms and, and you know, at your own time. And, and I'm not saying that the day might not come where, you know, people like ourselves are, are black, bag, black bagged en masse. And, you know, at that point in time, maybe we do start to have to think about physical resistance as a means of self-defense. Right. Uh, but until then, I think we have so many wonderful uh, tools to share this information like the Internet. We have so many, uh, because of the economic situation, you know, that, that we face as a country, so many people are are kind of regaining and, uh, and, and rediscovering how important things like family and, and localism are. Uh, so, you know, like, until that day comes, I think that we have a lot of wonderful options to subvert the state uh, and, uh, you know, a, a peaceful uh, ideological revolution seems far more in line with what we're talking about than some kind of uh, civil war. Absolutely. Rick, um, what are your thoughts, man? Well, I agree completely. I think that a uh, violent revolution would, would just be an excuse for them to crack down on us. I mean, that's just what Josh was saying. If they wanted to, they could foment it by starting these groups of agents provocateurs to start violence so they can use it as an excuse to crack down. Many of a large segment of the American population that's, that's so sheepish that they prefer order over freedom. And they've forgotten what Benjamin Franklin said, you know, that if, if you prefer order over freedom, you're not going to get either one. Mm -hmm. So um, I totally agree with Josh, and I, I think that what he's talking about is one of two tracks, as I see it, um, that's very important. I think we need to do both tracks. Mm -hmm. We have a government. We have a very powerful government. We have to take it on directly as well as create an alternative. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds like you two are a couple of anarchists, which you know most people are, think are are very left-wing, but I'm going to guess that you also have a lot of libertarian ideas, which a lot of people associate with right-wing. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Wait. I don't have an ideology, and if I had to label myself, I'd call myself what, what Noam Chomsky does, which is, uh, what do you call himself? A libertarian socialist. Yeah, and an anarcho-syndicalist. Yeah. yeah, just to make people think, you know, because it's really not about ideology. It's about what works and what makes sense and what's fair to everybody, yep. really. And, and the problem I have with really extreme libertarianism, I don't have a problem with libertarianism because really individual freedom is, is uberalis almost, I mean, except liberalism. you have to have a sense of social responsibility too. And that's the one place where I have a problem with some people who call themselves libertarians, but not all of them. I mean... There's a wide range within that label. Yeah, and it, it really does, and, and we hate labels on this show just as much as anybody because we're all individuals and we all have a different perspective. And it's uh, it's like when I was watching um, Tom Campbell's um, lecture where he talked about why he talks about consciousness instead of God because 
as soon as you say the word God, just like you were talking about before, Rick, <laughs> everybody has a different ideological connotation of that word. And so nobody's ever on the same playing field when they have the conversation because you could be talking about you know, pixie dust fairies God, or you could be talking about a uh, God. Bearded sky dad. Right, correct. I mean, it, it, it's really, it's a really, you know, big panopticon. So, Josh, you said you, you had your hand up like you wanted to say something. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, and you hit the nail on the head uh, just there, Jake, is that I guess what we're both, we're all speaking to is that it's very hard to put true individuals in any kind of ideological box. And not that I have uh, so much of an ideological continuity with Karl Marx, but uh, Marx uh, had an excellent quote on the matter where he said, uh, essentially, like, uh, ideology is the worst form of habit. Um, I love it. Never heard yeah, of that which is, Yeah, which is absolutely true. And, Rick, to speak to your point, you know, your, your criticism of, you know, modern libertarianism is certainly not undue uh, in the sense that, you know, we do have a lot of people within this movement uh, that I don't necessarily, uh, you know, this sort of free market will solve everything kind of mentality, uh, which I, as, as an ideologically sympathetic anarcho-capitalist, I'd like to agree with to some extent, but th- there haven't really been any uh, good solutions presented as to how to deal with the psychopathic criminal class that seems to gravitate towards power within right. that kind of system. Uh, right. You know, so these are discussions that, that are important to have. Right, and that's what we talked about before, and that's what I always get into a conversation when, when you run into somebody that that defines himself as a real Marxist, hardcore communist. It's like, listen, why would you create something that's already a power center for these people that over history have come through and gravitated and controlled the power centers and then controlled the masses through manipulation? And like you said, Rick, the majority of the time it's done through fear propaganda. It's the it's the it's the fear of What's going to happen if I – oh my gosh, I can't challenge the government. I can't challenge that. They might get me. Really? They might get you? They're going to get all, what, 330 million of us? Really? That's Well, that's, that brings – you two just brought up a very interesting juxtaposition of ideas, and I would put it a little bit differently. Um, first of all, there's no, – I mean I agree with everything um, Josh said, and I agree with what I think you meant to say, Jake, but I would – Phrase it differently. Um, Josh is absolutely right um, that a free market might work. The problem is we've never had one because every time you – within capitalism, uh, as he said, we've never figured out how to keep the criminals from taking over because that's all they care about, and that's what they work on. And once they get some money, then they get more power, and it gets worse generation by generation. That's the problem with capitalism. Now, as far as communism goes, the the fact of the matter is – uh, we've never had a communist government except maybe the Zapatistas. And that's the problem. You know, people say they want communism, but if they fight for it violently, they end up struggling for power at the end. And it's always, oh, the people aren't ready yet to rule themselves. Therefore, we have to do it until they're ready. And they never give up power. But that's not communism. Communism, in its ideal, is a perfect form of democracy. It's direct democracy starting at the local level. And power only goes above that where it has to because uh, it involves regions or nations or the whole world. That's, that's the way democracy, real democracy would work. And it is representative democracy once you get above the local level. But at the local level, it's direct democracy. 
And and I guess we can just scratch out the no true Scotsman argument for both of us and the fact that we've there's never been a true free market system and there's never been a truly capital or communistic state. So right. understanding that, you know, we're we're basically bathing in fallacies here. But <laughs> the, the idea that um that we've never had one of these um forms of government or forms of I guess capitalism would be not only a form of government but um e- economics as well and communism the same way, we've never really deployed these in a manner that would be sufficient because you have the um, the kleptocratic um, psychopaths that always gravitate towards the levers of power no matter where they're going to sit, whether they sit in somebody's governmental body or if they sit in some corporation with a nice neon sign out there that sells you GMO and, and makes um, suicide seeds or whatever they do. But that and whether it's well, a capitalist or a communist system, it's still an oligarchy. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Well, and... and- and both of these terms, you know, communism and capitalism, are much like the term God in that they're mired with connotation, right? You know, when we, when we think about capitalism, you know, on a global scale, not only just in America, you know, so many people equate that to state capitalism, which I would more aptly term as fascism. Right. Uh, and, you know, because, you know, the, this ideal of market interventionism has pervaded all of uh, capitalism before even Adam Smith put his, you know, pen to the paper. He warned us about it, and, and not enough people remember that, that. All they remember is the invisible hand, like it's magic or something. Magic. It is free market magic, my man. <laughs> if we just get rid of the Federal Reserve, everything will fix itself. Oh, that would be a big step in the right direction. Amen to that, but, I mean, it's it's not going to fix itself overnight. Once again, you have to have the informed populace in order to back some system like that. And you have to, once again, you have to have some kind of check and balance on the on the ruling oligarchs. Well, but, but well, that is a perfect example of an issue that um, liberal people who think of themselves as liberals and conservatives can agree on. I mean, my God, um, anybody that understands how the monetary system works, even the rudiments, realizes <laughs> the banks are in control and they're ripping us off every chance they get. That's where the debt came from, and it's a debt to them. Right. If we just repudiate that debt, we can go back to zero. Well, not zero, but you know what I mean. We can go way back, cut the debt, slash it, mm-hmm. and get the banks out of the process, establish a, a, a national bank that isn't privately owned, print our own money, and then we won't, you know, it'll be debt-free money virtually. Right. Uh, and go to a, a localized system like we used to have before the Bank of Philadelphia, where you had better, a localized system yeah. where you could, you could print your own local currency, trade with other um, communes. And it, there's just so many different ways to approach this, but I'm glad that we're all kind of on the same level because, and I think this is a very important podcast and a very important conversation for people to hear on both sides of the coin. Whether you're a, a contemporary liberal, because um, I don't really align a lot of the, um, I guess, liberal ideologies being a classically liberal um, sense, but you know everybody wants freedom, right? And that's what liberal means. If you want freedom, um, that's liberal, and in its classical definition. But when you when you move into the idea that that we have a a segment of the population, I don't even know what to call these people, that want to use the might of government to make people do social changes for themselves, for the benefit of the social change, and to make themselves feel better, not for the benefit of society. It's it's like a – it's almost like I'm going to write my ticket because I feel bad that this happened, so I'm going to go ahead and and have some law passed where that can't happen anymore, and that will make me feel better. And I don't know what we call that portion of the society, 
but um, it's it's almost like a, a massive empathetic um, section of society that wants to to make everything better with the with the wave of a wand or the wave of the, the mommy state. Well, the daddy daddy state's pretty damned expensive too. Let me tell you, uh, people that call themselves conservatives now. They don't know the meaning of the term, and I don't mean everybody. I'm talking about politicians and what the corporate media calls uh, calls conservatives. It has nothing in common with classical conservatism. In in reality, if you go back to classical conservatism, classical liberalism, it's not that big a split. It's simply a matter. I mean, conservatives don't believe you should never change and try to improve things. They just think you should keep the best and and move forward carefully. And liberals traditionally have been somewhat bolder um, for whether they're right or wrong. But the truth is that right now, the people that call themselves conservatives have created a fascist society like Josh talks about. The neoliberals, so-called liberals, have gone along with it. And neoliberalism and neoconservatism, you put them together and what you got is neo-fascism. That's it, man. And we both, they all end up at the same place, which is where we are currently. Yep, you have absolutely. Government run by corporations, or a yeah. I mean, basically, that's what we have. We have a government yeah. run by corporations that headed up by ruling oligarchs. Ta-da! Well, exactly. Absolutely, everybody. Isn't that why we fought a revolution? Uh, don't worry about that. I mean, just 50 years later, they just got a new, you know, they got a new bank and everything was fine. You know, <laughs> guys won. We all won. It wasn't even 50 years. It was 20 years. And some people think that's what caused the, the War of 1812, that, that the U.S. was goaded into it. And I was reading. I don't know if I buy that story, but oh, Rothschild said if he could get control of the bank supply, he could control the country. Yeah, if I control the money supply, I care not who makes its laws. Go ahead, Josh. Knock us with some knowledge. You look like you wanted to say something. Well, I was just going to say that you know what I think what we're speaking to is uh, you know Mark Passio is uh, in in some of his work uh, he touches on this you know in that it's all about this left brain right brain kind of schism. In that, you know, the American people truly are brain damaged without really noticing it. And the majority of, of, of liberals ha- do have daddy issues or mommy issues. Excuse me. They want government to be a caretaker and conservatives have daddy issues because they want government to be the protectorate. And libertarians just have slavery issues because they only want to be whipped three days out of the week instead of seven. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, as we get back to all this, but we talked about the Federal Reserve and, uh, you know, Rick just uh, just mentioned, uh, you know, the, the Rothschild uh, family and, and some of their, uh, uh, you know, more insidious connections to the financial history of America. I'm really happy. Uh, like I told you you're about to make him really happy by bringing them. <laughs> I, I think... I think it's it's really incredible today in that, you know, we have people like Bill Still, you know, who did the Money Masters series, who talks about, you know, the, the colonial script and the greenback type program, which I don't necessarily know that I'm in complete support of. Uh, but I think it's an interesting idea that should most certainly be tried. Um, but it, it's what amazes me is the, the ability of the of our ruling oligarchs to even control uh, the opposition in that, you know, the most vocal opponents to the Federal Reserve at this point in time are uh, proponents of the gold standard, which, you know, a brief glimpse at history uh, and the, the, the battle between the free silver movement and William Jennings Bryan uh, and, and the gold standard people of the late 1800s, you know, like, it's very clear that if they don't, if they can't print their own currency in, for, in the form of debt, then a gold-based standard is what the finan- ruling financial oligarchs want. So when we hear people like Murray Rothbard, gold. <laughs> exactly, you know, and that's what uh, I, I have it written down in my uh, little book. It's like, oh, Ron Paul supporters hailing standards of old. Have you really forgotten who owns all the gold? Uh, 
And it's totally true, you know, uh, and it, it, it still amazes me how, how easily, even as we become more enlightened, we are also co-opted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's, a very, it's a very slippery slope that we, we, we go down when you talk, start talking about alternative currencies. I mean, look at, you know, Bitcoin was one of those things that came out gangbusters and everybody was talking about how it was going to be the next great thing. And, and I was on the bandwagon for a little while and then started doing a little bit more digging. And then Josh brought up a really good question to me. He said, hey, who is the founder of Bitcoin? Why don't you find that? And so they, he let me toil on that for a couple of nights. And then you can never find who really took credit for writing the program and who really took credit for all this stuff. So it's like, okay, so it's some shady guy that decided he was going to be against central banks. So once again, co-opting, they, they see the movement in place. And this is why what I'm going to talk to um, Tom about tomorrow is, so, is going to be so incredible because I believe, and this is just my philosophical belief, that with all the technology in place, if they could game the system and predict movements – I'm talking about the financial ruling oligarchs and the people that really do pull the levers of power. If they can game the system and understand where society is going to go, then they can do exactly what Josh said and put somebody in place to co-opt the movement before the movement gets out of control or challenges their power structure or their paradigm. And that's why I think it's so important for us to have conversations like this to, to come together and say, no, 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 we've got to create a solution outside of our little flags that we all carry. You know, Everybody carries their, I'm a libertarian, I'm a voluntarist, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a, I'm a classical liberal, I'm a neoliberal. Just put your flags down and let's figure some shit out. Can we do that? I mean this is – and I don't mean to cuss on my own show. I always talk to myself about not doing that. But at this point in – in history, we really do have to get real with one another and say, listen, there are a lot of common threads along these lines, so let's figure out what those are, figure out what the commonalities are, push for that, and then we'll figure out the other stuff a little bit later on down the road. And um, yeah, Josh, and that's why, that's why when I looked at alternative currencies and Bitcoin kind of circling the wagons a little bit, when I saw what was going on and then when I read that J.P. Morgan had a cryptocurrency laying and waiting – since 1999, and if anybody has ever studied any history of the financial oligarchs, they know the significance of J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase owns the um, the entirety of the food stamps that, that get processed in the United States, so they have big business there. They're the money masters, and so when you look at – they had a cryptocurrency laying and waiting. I saw Bitcoin as a trial balloon. I sold Bitcoin at 1100 bucks. Eat it, everybody. And so I took my uh, <laughs> I took my fiat currency and ran. But at that point, you have to realize that these people have gotten so much technology behind them, so much data, which is very key. Because with the data, you can actually predict what's going to happen. And if they could predict that Bitcoin was going to be um, something that they were going to trial balloon and then roll out something later to see if the masses would buy a totally uh, cryptic currency that has no backing with anything whatsoever except for ones and zeros, I think that that's highly probable. So, well, the the thing about J.P. Morgan that we also have to remember is, you know, these these people are controlling financial oligarchs, but they're also uh, masters of controlled opposition. If we look at it on the macro scale, J.P. Morgan, if anyone out there has followed uh, Anthony Sutton's research and his book Wall Street and the Rise of the Bolsheviks, Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler, etc., etc., it's very clear that J.P. Morgan uh, it was instrumental in providing the uh, the, the startup capital for uh, for uh, the the Russian Revolution of of 1917. 
uh, you know, so, and then even on a smaller scale, we've got um, uh, R. Gordon Lawson in the spiritual realm being the chief, essentially, propagandist for J.P. Morgan uh, before he goes on to uh, become a witting CIA agent uh, and kind of uh, spends most of his time uh, subtly debunking, but not really, the theories of... Um, uh, what was the gentleman's name? Uh, John M. Allegro, uh, author of The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. So whether it's grand political movements or even our ideals of God, we have J.P. Morgan kind of with their with their dirty little hands in it. And if we want to talk about God in the modern sense, which, uh, you know, to most people on this planet would probably be equated to money, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, they're also fomenting the, the false Bitcoin rebellion, as I like to call it. Ooh, very nice. And um, let's not forget that George Soros really likes those people in the Ukraine. That's why he's funding them. <laughs> <laughs> he liked the people of Egypt too, right? He really wants them to have freedom. So how dare we be informed? Rick, um, what do you got to add, man, if anything? Uh, not, not a lot. I, obviously, Josh has done a lot more reading about um, – about uh, this than I have this last topic he brought up uh, history J.P. Morgan and the Russian Revolution and that's uh, fascinating stuff but I haven't had time to look into it myself yet that's that's his wheelhouse so we'll stick to, we'll stick to the political jargon for moving on so now here here's my next I guess topic for this little roundtable discussion we have here how and, and it says we have like 18 minutes but we can go over if we want to because I'm pretty sure this conversation will go over. How close is America to really having a financial um, financial dictator? And the reason I term it a financial dictator is because he's basically going to be controlling the corporation that is the United States. And the way that I look at it, with the position that Barack Obama has put himself in, and with you know with not leaving aside George W. Bush, who put a lot of executive orders in place with Presidential Directive 51 and all kinds of other contingency plans for just in case these people kind of go crazy and we have a revolution, here's how we're going to kind of deal with this stuff. We're going to put everybody into camps. We're going to code them with their social security number. We got all this stuff figured out. What's the real plan? Ah, you guys can't see it. But I'm on the Department of Homeland Security board. No, you can't see it. So actually, I've played that clip a couple of times, but um, you know, utilizing the power of the pen from the from the presidential standpoint and the executive standpoint, do really face a um, an an almost a dictatorial president in in our near future. Rick, what do you what do you think, man? Well, no, I think that our president is closer to a stenographer than a dictator. Um, <laughs> So you know they're they're vetted by much more powerful interests. I mean, who who the hell was Barack Obama before they made him a senator and then president? Mm -hmm. uh, he was a community organizer. Sure. He, he's not the he's not the power behind the throne, and he knows it. I mean, he collected all that money. I, you know, we can argue about how much he really collected from small donations, but he collected a whole bunch of money from small donors, and then the, the banksters came by and doubled it. They doubled it, mm -hmm. and you know, and they gave McCain a bunch too. But obviously, they expected Obama to win, uh, and they made made it so. Sure. And he he knew what he was getting into, and he is following orders. Now he still has the chance to um, go his own way, but you know, he's not stupid. He knows what happened to Kennedy. Sure. Um, Kennedy uh, tried tried to uh, uh, you know uh, get off. What am I trying to say? He tried. He tried to um, let the government print its own money. Essentially, that was one of the things he did. I don't think that's what he got him killed. I think it was 
taking on the military-industrial complex uh, that got him killed. You mean but, uh, when they wanted to invade Cuba and he told them no, that he wouldn't, he wouldn't pull the false flag to invade Cuba? And then... That was just the first step. If you read JFK and the Unspeakable, there was a whole series of steps he took right, right up to uh, American uh, University speech when he said straight out he wanted to end the Cold War. He negotiated a partial nuclear test ban treaty against... 80%, the wishes of 80% of the public until he convinced them it was the right thing to do. That made him so powerful and so popular, uh, they had to kill him because war is very profitable. And that's what the entire power, struct- power structure is based on. Money's power. The money was in the uh, national security state. It still is. Only it's worse. And I probably should have phrased my question in this statement and in the fact that not President Barack Obama becoming a dictator, but making the office of the presidency a financial dictatorial office to where they can rule by edict rather than rule by congressional committee. I probably should have phrased it that way. So Yeah, well, I, I mean – but, but speaking to that directly, I would say that you know, it's not that you know, this is some kind of uh, eventual future contingency. This is something that's already here and has been here for at least the past 70 years. These same financial, uh, you know, ru- the same financial ruling class uh, has has written for for decades about the fact that they wanted the office of the presidency potentially even since the inception of this country because it had the potential to become, you know, this this office that could could write uh, write laws and pass uh, decrees, you know, uh, with with the the verdict of one man. You know, that's a that's a tremendous <laughs> asset to, to to the ruling class. And, you know, speaking to, to Kennedy, I don't necessarily uh, believe that, that he was, although I believed for years that the Silver Certificate Program was, uh, you know, attempted to be instituted by Kennedy. I actually wrote an article on journalisticrevolution.com uh, about how Kennedy was no proponent of sound money. Uh, there are various quotes about Kennedy attempting to demonetize silver, uh, and Executive Order 11110 actually did exactly that, uh, if you kind of dig into uh uh, the idiosyncrasies of it all, because the the silver certificate program had been uh, essentially unhindered since uh, 1878 with the passage of the Bland-Allison Act, and it ended in 1964 at the behest of Kennedy. Uh, so I think that there's a little bit of the muddying of the waters going on with that area of history. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting that you bring it up, though, because the, these people who promote this myth are largely from the John Birch Society, who was uh, which was founded by uh, the the father of the Koch brothers. You know, so mm-hmm. there's this is a deep, long, uh, you know, kind of psyop in that sense. But but speaking to uh, some of the other elements of the Kennedy assassination, uh, his speech at American University is certainly an excellent example. And his famous secret society speech uh, where he talks about, you know, America not being beholden to, to people of secret oaths and secret proceedings. And a lot of people will attempt to say, well, he's talking about the communists. Um, but I don't know many communists with secret handshakes or secret oaths or secret proceedings. Well, maybe secret proceedings, but the rest of it I don't think really applies. <laughs> I've never heard that, that interpretation. That's pretty comical. Some people will bend over backwards to stick to their ideology. Okay. Well, that one me. Yeah, ego death, ego death is a bitch, isn't it? You can't deal with that. Deal with ego death. What do you mean you just fractured my paradigm? I've, I, I, I repeat that. I choose not to believe you. I've, I've, oh, I think I broke my paradigm. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that we we all kind of joke about this because it's really what we do face, and that you have to get out and you have to get people to challenge 
the status quo. And, and, and I don't even think the majority of Americans understand what the status quo really is. I, I really don't. And, and I don't think that they understand um, – and most of them don't even understand history. Lee Camp did a great uh, three-minute video that was um, that encapsulates uh, you know basically smashing the history channel and the discovery channel because he talks about how he's like they're going to teach us some real history and they don't teach you anything he's like they're going to teach us how Christopher Columbus was this ruthless tyrant that went and raped and pillaged everybody and conquered the new world and actually conquered a land that you know three you know 30 million people already lived on but he found it and all this other stuff and course they don't show you that they show you the you know the nice little fluffy christopher columbus that came in and and helped everybody and then went back to spain and said look what i found not hey there's probably a bunch of land here and i'm pretty sure these guys with swords and spears we can probably take them all with our <laughs> with our arms yeah i call it the nazis and aliens channel anymore because every time i turn on history channel whenever i rarely do that's all that's playing that's a very fair statement so, um, all right, we got a few more minutes left here. We got 11 minutes. Let's see if we can wrap it up. What, um, what do we really see in the future? If we can extrapolate out um, five years, let's say that we can get, um, let's say that, can we generalize and say that maybe five percent of the population is is understanding where we're at, um, uh, both as a financial society and as a political society? Can we can we all agree that maybe five percent of the population understands where where we're at currently? Parts yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I mean, which are the most important parts? I don't. That's a tough one to answer. Five percent understand that something is wrong in yeah, okay. Denmark. Okay, at least. So, mm-hmm. if we get in the next five years, let's say that we we double our numbers. If we get ten percent of the population to understand that there are some real challenges facing this dream that they call the American dream. Which it is a dream, people. That's why they call it the American dream because you've been dreaming it since you were a child. But um, where, where do you where do you see all of this going, um, Rick? I'll go to you first. Where do you where do you see us going, uh, both politically and um, let's go politically, militarily, and then uh, monetarily? What do you see happening? Well, it um, it all depends on how well we do our job. What we have is we have. On the liberal side, anyway, we have some people with really big platforms who um, are really just bitching about the way things are and saying, let's all take to the streets and, you know, follow me and let's have a revolution. But they don't really have any practical solutions. Um, They just want to complain about what is and not propose an alternative. And what we need to do is people like you and me and Josh need to make them understand both both people out there, you know, for liberal causes and people out there for conservative causes and all of those causes that intersect. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make them understand on uh, both sides. This is if politics is not civil war. Mm-hmm. When it is, they just that's how they use it to divide and conquer us. Mm-hmm. Politics means figuring out how to get together on issues and have a unified message. It does not mean somebody at the top says what the message is and we all follow. It means we have a conversation about how best to present the message. And I think what we're doing on this show is a really good illustration of how we can talk together, avoid buzzwords. If we have to use a word like conservative or liberal to sort of make a point, um, we started out by defining what we meant by that. It's not an insult in either case. We're talking about real liberals and real conservatives and people who don't understand it, you know, everybody else. <laughs> right. And and I think that I think that you make a very, very strong point and I think that's why John 
question I always harp on the trivium, is that once you understand the grammar of where that person's coming from, then the logic and the rhetoric really do fall into place. It's like, well, here is what my definition of the word that we just spoke means. And then what is your definition? Okay, well, let's. can we both agree that this would be a good definition for us to go by? And if you both agree, then you can have a conversation around that word. And now you've had, once you, like you were saying, a productive discussion over the terms that we're trying to define and the, and the way that we're trying to, to move society. So, um, Josh, what do you got? Well, speaking to you know this kind of, as the big new Brzezinski would call it, the global political awakening. If we speak to that as a whole, uh, I'm I'm fairly optimistic in that you know so many people are are coming across this information. Some of it uh, uh, from more dubious sources than others. Um, but you know, uh, on on the front of uh, monetary, political, and and military change uh, in the next five years specifically, I'm going to have to revert back to pessimist mode and take these one by one. Uh, on a monetary level, uh, I think that what Jim Willie, uh, the, analy- uh, the economic analyst over at uh, GoldenJackass.com, has to say, is uh, is very apt. I do think that we are going to see a split uh, in the dollar, uh, in that we will have a gold-backed trade currency where the government and uh, and corporate America will essentially retain most of its power on the uh, on the global scale, uh, and the the debt-based note that you get in your pocket right now is the one that will uh, experience all kinds of inflation and stagflation later on, um, and you know really kind of sell us all all down the river. I think that this is what these people have planned, and it's probably going to come to fruition within the next five years. Uh, politically, unfortunately, uh, more of the same. Uh, even with people like uh, Rand Paul, uh, you know, you know, vying for the presidential spot. We look at, you know, the history of uh, his financial backers at this moment, and uh, one of the one of his most, uh, you know, uh, ardent supporters, financially and otherwise, is Karl Rove. So I think we all know where that's uh, headed. Um, and unfortunately, so m- too many people are swallowing that deception, even people who think they know what's going on. And militarily, I think that we're really going to start to see a shift away from the Middle East and towards the Central Asian caucuses. I think that, uh, to a certain extent, this is what uh, aspects of the Boston bombing were about, you know, kind of shining the light on this Chechen terror issue that has been an issue for a very long time and has been funded and founded by the CIA and deep political entities for a very long time. But, you know, and and now, especially with these bombings in Russia that happened uh, in December uh, and the threats uh, by Bandar Bush of the Sochi Olympics, I do think that the, the, the theater of war similar to the, the shift away from the Golden Triangle in Southeast Asia in the 70s and 80s is uh, about to take place. I was speaking specifically of political because I think that's the only place that we can make a lot of change in the near-term future. And that's because if we do get a nucleus that really understands, and I, I didn't really finish my point, I said, if these people that have big platforms understand and start talking about what's really important in a focused way instead of just like, oh, there's this problem, there's that problem, there's this problem, there's that Wait a minute, no. What are the solutions? Mm -hmm. I'm working on a constitutional amendment that would would, uh, uh, end corporate constitutional rights and um, take the first step toward reforming campaign finance, an important uh, couple steps. That's a, that's a place that we can actually accomplish something because there's already a movement for it. And there are conservative groups like American for Prosperity and liberal groups that are starting to work together. And they're, they're getting past that ideology 
and realizing, hey, we don't all have to agree on exactly what kind of government we want at the end, but we do know corruption is the biggest problem. We're never going to get there if we don't deal with the corruption, and that's why a constitutional amendment is so important. I think I'm working on something called the Pledge to Amend campaign, and we're organizing here in Oregon, and we are reaching out to uh, – there's at least one Americans for Prosperity group that's already joined. Um, uh, it's in a more conservative part of the state. And uh, we, we're hoping they're going to formally join our coalition, uh, which is mostly nonpartisan groups. Um, some, you, I guess you'd call liberal, uh, if you have to label. Um, but anyway, we're trying to get people to work together to organize teams in all the major cities in Oregon where the candidates go to uh, campaign for Congress and ask questions about put people on the spot in public where the sheeple, well, not the sheeple, the people aren't paying attention to that issue but do care about politics and show up to these things will learn, hey, wow, we could do this. You know, this is important. I wonder what senator so-and-so or his challenger is going to say you know and then they'll listen and then they'll get it because if we make that a litmus test in all the congressional elections as soon as possible this isn't going to happen in one election cycle but over election cycles if we make it a, a, a litmus test then we can elect congress that will actually pass a constitutional amendment can you imagine that that would undercut the power of corporations and the oligarchy to determine who we get to vote for that's a good first step and we can do it that is a good first step and i think yep. once you once you saw the fact that that corporations were given the same entities and the same rights as human beings and that was back in the i want to say the late 80s early 90s i want to say early 90s because I actually remember hearing this, and I've, I've actually been listening to political talk radio since I was 14 when I was driving. In the, and I used to listen to Neil Bortz, if anybody understands libertarian views, they know who Neil Bortz is. I used to listen to him on the way in every morning. <laughs> See, I, so I've been politically, politically charged for a, a long time, but that's the one thing I remember him ranting and raving about was the campaign finance where – Corporations have the same rights as humans, and they can donate whatever lump sum they want to as long as it goes to a pact or whatever like that. And that's where your boy Carl Rove comes in, Josh, and you look like you wanted to say something else. Carl, I, I just God, wanted to – he loves you. He just <laughs> has a nice conservative government that pays off his corporations. He's like your, your kind, portly grandpa. I can imagine him like being a mall Santa somewhere, uh, although I don't know if I'd let uh, my child sit on the lap of a war criminal. <laughs> imagine having but, him and then Dick Cheney as the elf. How scary is that? Oh, God. It, gives me, it makes me cringe. But speaking uh, kind of directly to what Rick was talking about and some of these, uh, some of these more encouraging and substantive uh, changes that can be made on the political level, uh, I, I think that there are a lot of encouraging things going on right now. Uh, what, what the people at uh, offnow.org are trying to do, uh, where there's this massive NSA data center in Utah that needs uh, the, the support of, of, a, of a local town to use their water to, to essentially cool these supercomputers. And these people are organizing, again, at the local level, completely bypassing uh, these federal mandates to say, no, you can't just play around with our resources like that, especially if you're going to use them to spy on us. You know, so in, on, in that sense, like people are becoming aware of these things. And uh, as we become more aware, hopefully, you know, people like ourselves will be able to uh, tell those around us how we can use the levers of power more successfully as opposed to, you know, kind of throwing all of our weight behind this one savior like a Ron Paul uh, who ultimately will either fail or sell you out in the end. So. 
Well, Rand Paul already sold out his supporters. I, I keep forgetting what the issue was, but the minute he got elected, he reversed himself on a really important issue that's fundamental to libertarian philosophy. He also, Do you remember what it was? Well, I, I forget. There have been a couple, but he did vote for uh, the National Defense Authorization Act of 2013, which had the same. Yeah, with it, which had the Yeah. I barbecued my um, my local House of Representative guy over that. That was good. He voted for the NDAA. Well, we had to fund the military. I'm like, don't give me that crap. I'm you like, don't support the troops, Jake. Yeah, what a joke. <laughs> do I support the Do I support the war on terror? No, I don't. No, I don't support any of this. I, you know, I do support the troops. I want them to be brought home so they're not fighting stupid fucking wars for oligarchs. And yes, well. <laughs> How I, and I actually did catch myself from using another profane word on there. That was pretty nice. I'm, Good job. I'm proud of myself, man. Sometimes this stuff gets you a little fired up. And I had a margarita for dinner, so that, that'll actually loosen. <laughs> that'll do it. That will do it. You yeah. have some chips with it, and then you can have two. Yeah, uh-huh. see? Uh-huh. Now, uh, <laughs> trying to pace you my weren't time. thinking. I wanted to be cogent. I didn't want to be slurring on on camera or on on audio either. So you didn't want but to be you're so much you. more charming after a couple of drinks, right? <laughs> I always am. Oh, I, I'm, That's what I tell myself, at least. Exactly. I'm charming and belligerent at the same time. How is that possible? <laughs> but all right, so guys, um, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. It's been an absolutely great great having you on, Rick, and, and always good having somebody from a different perspective and a different ideology because. When we do get people on here from a libertarian standpoint, we basically just sit there and, and, and pat each other on the back and talk about how great our ideology is for a lot of the, a lot of the show. But um, having people come together from different perspectives, bringing different angles to, to the idea of, um, of freedom and individuality it really does add a lot to the mix and, and can really help us drive the message home that we're not so far apart as the mainstream media would like to make us think that we are. So, well, you know something? If you hadn't said you were libertarians, I would not have assumed that at all from what you said. Whatever. Um, I don't and know. I also want to uh, say I'm really glad to meet you, Josh. Uh, you're, you're obviously uh, uh, you done, done a, lot, a lot of homework. It, yeah, he's a nerd. You can say it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was great to meet you as well, Rick. Uh, you know, it's always nice to share opinions uh, with like minds, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. So everybody plug their stuff really quick, and we'll go ahead and wrap up the show, and hopefully everybody enjoyed this little roundtable discussion for from three people trying to make a difference in the world. So, um, Rick, why don't you go ahead, man? Plug all your stuff well, and where people um, find you, and I'll put links in the show notes. Sure. Uh, I encourage people to go to my website, uh, Soldiers for Peace International. I don't blog a lot, but you can subscribe and see when I get around to blogging. Uh, I try to only blog on important stuff, not crap, like a lot of people do to get something out every day. So Soldiers for Peace International also has a link to um, my radio shows, SFPI Radio and Take Back America, or Taking Back America. Um, and, uh, of course, we have a uh, Facebook page, Soldiers for Peace International, and uh, it's a great place to have conversations. We don't tolerate a bunch of ideological BS, and uh, we don't, you know, there's very few things we we uh, we censor, but, you know, we don't, allow religious proselytizing, but if somebody wants to make a point and say, you know, the Bible says this and that's why it's important to a social issue, fine, or the Quran or whatever. Um, however you want to make your point, as long as it's civil. And uh, the whole idea is to get people together. And we've got members from all over the world, over 5,000 members now. So 
Facebook group's pretty cool too. Yeah, it's a I, I post on there um, quite a bit. I always read your posts, even though I don't respond to them. So. Um, Rick does a good job writing um, writing pertinent material for people that are talking about or are having the same conversations that we're all having, because that's really what it's all about. He'll um, he'll come one day and and demonize uh, the mainstream media, and then come the next day and talk about a solution. So I, I really liked a couple of the pieces that you did um, going after um, specific media outlets. So I always like to point out to the sheep, you know, why this is a bad idea, why. And- Jolts. Oh, God. Uh, your boy. Bro, specifically about a call I made to him. He was such a dick. Yeah. I mean. No, that's fine, man. I already broke the cherry. We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> it's an R-rated show now. Let's just try to keep it from being X-rated. So we got like three more F-bombs we could drop, and then and we move into the NC-17 or whatever the rating system is. But, um, but Rick, be sure to send me all of, uh, links to all your stuff, and I'll post it in the show notes. And um, Josh, go ahead and plug your stuff, and then I'll, I'll wrap my little segment up, and we'll get out of here. Sure. Uh, I'm Josh Wiley. Uh, you can find all of my work at www.journalisticrevolution.com. Uh, we've got a live radio show that broadcasts Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, but the one thing that I'm really excited about right now is uh, we've just launched our first podcast, uh, first in a series entitled Mind the Control. Uh, it's a five and a half hour episode on uh, as a kind of a primer of the history of the CIA. Uh, and then the next episode is kind of going to go into the, the roots of the CIA within the Anglo-American establishment and the Rhodes Roundtable. Uh, so that's something that I'm really excited about. So hopefully people will go and uh, download that at journalisticrevolution.com. That's right. Great. Alan Dulles loves you. Just remember mm-hmm. that. He loves that we don't read. That's what he loves. He's your boy. Come on. Now, was mm-hmm. he part of a secret society? Nah, that's all right. And it's funny that you mentioned that because on the on the blog post to the website itself, uh, that's the quote that I put at the top by Alan Dulles. Uh, it's it. famous. The American people don't read. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it's okay. Don't worry about the power structure, everybody. You're fine. Go back to sleep, America. Your government is in control. That is, uh, who, who was that, Bill? Um, Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks, yeah. That's what I thought. Uh, well, that was easy for him to accept when we were fat and happy, but now that austerity's setting in, I think uh, I think people are going to wake up. The old folks are already screaming about their pension checks and stuff, but, but they're not worried about the kids yeah. for the most part, and the kids are not, for the most part, standing up for themselves yet. Uh, uh, with obvious exceptions. Um, <laughs> Miley Cyrus is way too attractive and way too attractive <laughs> to care about politics. Politics is boring. Television tells me politics is boring. Well, tweaking sure is or is that what, twerking. Whatever. Tweaking isn't boring either, but twerking is even more exciting. My wife was like, have you seen this twerking? I'm like, what is that? She's like, it's a dance. I'm like, yo, good God. And that's when I came to the realization that I'm no longer hip anymore. And so now I just wear, I wear the same jeans that I've worn since college. So, and actually the same t-shirt right here has been in existence for 14 years, everybody. I'm not a bum. I just wash my shit and take care of it. See, number two, S-bomb. But anyway, that's it for the show, everybody. Thank you so much for both my guests, Rick. Um, how do you pronounce your last name so I don't butcher it? Stagenborg. Okay, Rick Stagenborg um, and Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution. Rick Stagenborg for soldier, uh, Veterans for Peace and Soldiers for Peace. Is that right? Soldiers for Peace International, and I am with Veterans for Peace also. Okay, great. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having both of you guys on. Uh, thank you so much for, for tuning into the show, everybody. Um, I will be doing the interview for Tom Campbell tomorrow, airing the interview on Thursday night. And um, 
once again, everybody, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And when I mean get involved, I don't mean to get out there and wave a little banner around. I mean get involved in conversation with your fellow human beings, and let's try to fix this stuff. Take care, everybody.